If you would first turn to Exodus 24. Which has a very important parallel to our message this morning. So I want to put this before you in in sort of in your minds as we look at the transfiguration. So Matthew, uh, excuse me, Exodus 24, verses 9 through 18. Listen to the holy infallible word of God. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abiru, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up with me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for your, their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he sat, said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. <clears throat> Whoever has a dispute, let him Go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. In the sight of the people of Israel, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Over to Mark now, chapter 9. Let me begin with verse 1. Reading through 13. Mark 9, 1 through 13. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until the kingdom, until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. 
This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matters to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things and how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did not, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we have an event before us that is so transcendent, so glorious. We ask that our hearts would enter into this great event of our Savior this morning and give us a peace that passes all understanding. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would see ourselves in the glory of Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Well, would you rather refuse denying yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus? Would you rather pursue to profit the whole world, to make a name for yourself in the world, and forget where your soul will spend eternity? Would you rather join what Jesus calls this adulterous generation? and sinful generation and be ashamed to be a true disciple of Jesus. Well, in contrast, in contrast, Jesus is about to reveal the final end for those who follow Jesus in a life of self-denial, those who are willing to lose their life for the sake of Christ and the gospel, for the disciples and the crowd whom Jesus called, he is about to present the scope of his own person and kingdom from its position on earth to its position of the consummation of the kingdom. Notice the phrase of factuality from our Lord there in verse 1. Truly I say to you, when Jesus uses this particular phrase, he is stressing to his hearers 
that what he is about to say will definitely take place. It is impossible that it would not take place. It is the words of faithful covenantal commitment to his people. Yes, Jesus states definitely that there are some standing right there before him who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God more fully. The verb form here is not that they are going to see the kingdom coming at some point in the future. That's not the issue. But that they will witness the fact of the kingdom, that the kingdom is truly present. And they will get a glimpse into the consummating glory of Jesus and his kingdom. And who is going to witness the presence and consummating glory of Jesus and his kingdom? As you can see in our text, there is a pause. Keep this in the back of your mind as we go forward this morning. There is a pause for six days in which Jesus takes only Peter. James and John, the three that he singled out to accompany him in the healing of Jairus' daughter back in 537. The three of them are about to witness something packed with revelation. Christ has already revealed to them their comprehension Excuse me, Christ has already revealed to them beyond their comprehension that he, the son of man, must suffer. Be rejected by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Be killed. And in three days be resurrected. 8.31 But after his resurrection, the day is coming when he will return in the glory of his heavenly father and his holy angels. Verse 38 of the previous chapter. What will the glory of the son of man look like when he returns? Well, these three disciples are about to receive insight into the final glorification of Christ and his kingdom. Now do not overlook that Jesus is revealing this to a selected number of hand-picked disciples. Once again, Jesus will enforce the messianic secret after he is transfigured before these three disciples. Why? Because they didn't understand the path, the path of Jesus to Jerusalem to repeat, the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected by the Jewish Sanhedrin, be killed, and after three days be resurrected. Remember, they need to be taught 
They need to be trained in the cost of discipleship as they go to Jerusalem. Likewise, once the three disciples witnesses Jesus' transfiguration of glory, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone what they had seen until he has risen from the dead. Verse 9 of our text. Why the extension of the messianic secret with respect to the transfiguration? Well, look at the text. Look at 9.10. Look at verse 10 of the text. We are told because they did not know what the resurrection of the dead meant. More teaching. More training was needed about the essential purpose and mission of Christ's redemption for his people, the church. More specifically, the teaching and training will not truly register upon their hearts and mind until after, after the resurrection. At that point, the exaltation of the glorified Christ unto the glory of his Father in heaven and the holy angels will make sense and be grasped. Yes, at that point, the messianic secret will finally be understood. Then, and only then, will the disciples as apostles be commissioned by Christ's spirit to spread the good news and his kingdom to the nations. Meanwhile, meanwhile, what Peter, James, and John are about to see in Christ's transfiguration is just packed, is just packed with mind-stretching themes from the Old Testament reaching an incredible and rich deposit in Jesus Christ. Once again, these three followers of Jesus were probably not making the connections, but we definitely can do so in light of the full orb gospel now revealed in Christ to us. Mark and the Holy Spirit wants each of us to do so for our own personal growth of discipleship, in discipleship, seeing the wonderful continuity of God's revelation, finding its consummation in our Savior, in our Redeemer, Jesus the Christ. The event in our text is rich, is rich, with Old Testament revelation. Notice, as we proceed this morning, six days, high mountain, close of glory, Elijah and Moses, the cloud, the voice of God. 
A familiar theme in Mark's gospel addresses us immediately. Jesus departs from the crowd and his disciples except for these three, Peter, James, and John. Usually in Mark's gospel, Jesus' departure captures the Old Testament theme of going into the wilderness and a desolate place. We have emphasized that and seen that time and time again on your outline. I believe I've just given you a few examples. The imagery also includes going up into a mountain. Also, As we have stressed, Jesus lives the life of the church as a pilgrim people in the wilderness. Well, that theme reemerges here in verse 2 of our text. Verse 2. But the revelation of Christ in its setting is going to press us beyond, beyond the wilderness beyond that wilderness setting to the final inheritance of Christ's church encompassed in the glory of Christ's righteousness and his holiness. Have you left your self-pride, your life of self-denial, at the door this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready to behold your your final end as a follower of Jesus Christ to fully rest by faith alone by your upon your end as being called by Jesus Christ, by grace alone. Are you ready to embrace the overwhelming religious joy by taking up your cross, losing your life for the sake of gaining eternal life in Christ and being filled to your satisfaction with the good news of the gospel? Are you ready? Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to take each of you, the body of Christ, into the event of Christ's transfiguration for you, for us, as a body to receive the crown, the reward of discipleship? In Christ. Congregation, you are about to enter quite quite the spectrum and scope of biblical revelation in Christ's transfiguration. If you have any questions about how marvelously God crystallizes the history of his revelation in his son. I ask you, sit back 
and allow the Holy Spirit this morning to draw your life personally into this incredible, glorious event. The event ties us to the wilderness and Moses ascending a high mountain, Mount Sinai, specifically a connection with Exodus 24. There are some significant parallels with Exodus 24 that cannot be mistaken of God interweaving his revelation into the consummating revelation of his son. Allow me to highlight God, Christ's glory for your own spiritual enrichment. Moses separates from the children of Israel and takes Aaron, Nadab, Abiru, and 70 elders up the mountain. Exodus 24, 1 and 9. This particular selected group went only so far. We are told in Exodus 24, 10 and 11 that they saw and beheld the God of Israel. They were peering at his feet upon the pavement of sapphire stone in heaven. But God did not lay his hand upon these selected men of Israel. Likewise, as we have noted clearly, Peter, James and John are specially chosen from the crowd and the other disciples, and they proceed to go up the mountain with Jesus. Verse 2 of Mark 9. But there's another separation. There's another separation. In the Moses narrative in Exodus 24, that points to the distinctive, unique separation of Peter, James, and John. Moses separates from Aaron, Nadab, and Abiru, and 70 elders, and mentions only Joshua, his assistant being with him. Verse 13 of Exodus 24. So that you grasp the importance of this further separation. Think about the importance and position that Joshua will hold in the history of Israel. He will be the sole successor to Moses after Moses dies. Are you making the connections, congregation? The successor of Christ as the proclaimers of the good news after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, are the apostles, are the disciples. Yes, represented here in Mark's text as Peter, James, and John. Your mind now wants to focus more upon the connection between Joshua, Moses' successor, and... Peter, James, and John, Jesus' successors. 
Let's go forward in the Exodus narrative. We are told that Moses and Joshua went up into the mountain and the glory cloud of the Lord covered the mountain for six days. Verse 16 of Exodus 24. On the seventh day, on the seventh day, the covenant Lord of Moses called unto Moses, not Joshua, out of the midst of the cloud and the appearance of the Lord was like a devouring fire and Moses entered into the crowd. Cloud, verses 16 through 18 of Exodus 24. Now carefully note how Mark's narrative unfolds so that you grasp the fullness of the revelation of Christ before you this morning. Go back to Mark chapter 9, verse 2. I already gave you a hint earlier. Did you pick up on it? And after six days, Jesus took him, Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Are you catching it? Are you catching it? After six days. After six days. Peter, James, and John are about to enter the glorified revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the seventh day. The Sabbath day revelation. Jesus is going to be transfigured into his final Sabbath glorified state before his successors, his chosen disciples and apostles, his representation of his church for us. Jesus is foreshadowing his final state of glorification in this event. His clothes radiate. Are you seeing? Grasp this. His clothes are shining. His, his, his clothes in terms of this are radiating and shining with his purity. His righteousness His absolute holiness, the godliness of his radiant clothing is so intensely, extremely white and bright that words can only describe that no, no bleach exists on earth that could get his clothes this white. We can't even imagine this. We may dump a lot of bleach into our wash. This is extraordinarily supernatural. Indeed, nothing on earth has the capacity to match his godly deity of pure sinlessness absolutely nothing 
congregation. Christ's salvific journey on earth and his glorification is in heaven is being clearly mapped out before us. Yes, the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected by the Sanhedrin, be killed, and after three days rise again. But that is not the end for Jesus or for the sinners he has redeemed in his death and resurrection. As the sinless atoning sacrifice for sinners whom the Spirit has called out of thick darkness. We have been called out of thick darkness. He, Christ, is the divine splendor, the divine radiance. That's what the word glory means, a purely, a pure godly righteousness that is so clean in himself and for those whom he has redeemed that his brightness is overwhelming in his glorious revelation for us. Jesus' eternal Sabbath glory is for those who love him. Repent of their sins and place every ounce of faith in him. O church of Christ, grasp how this event in Jesus' earthly ministry points us to the soul sufficiency of Christ alone for our salvation. Who appears here with him? Who appears here with him? Elijah and Moses. We have already seen that Jesus exceeds the wilderness mountain revelation attached to Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. Yet the prophet whom the Lord would, which the Lord God would raise up like a prophet of Moses has arrived. That prophet has now arrived and has been revealed as the actual glory, the divine radiance of God himself. All prophesied in terms of Moses, that one who is going to come. Deuteronomy 18, 18, he's here. But another prophet appears as well. The one who was prophesied to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He is not the Messiah, but the forerunner of the Messiah. Yes, Elijah is also a prophet in the wilderness and a recipient of God's revelatory fire on a mountain. Yes, on Mount Carmel, when the Lord sends fire, judgment, and wrath upon the idols and the prophets of Baal. And although Elijah 
will be taken into the eternal rest of the Sabbath in heaven in a chariot of fire. He is not the Sabbath rest of God. The true Sabbath rest for the people of God is the inheritance of life in the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, Peter, overwhelmed, And terrified by the presence of Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus there in verse 4 of our text. Suggests that they should construct three tents. The literal Greek here is tabernacles for each of them. We need a tabernacle, a tent for Jesus. One for Elijah. We need one for Moses. Verse 5. Immediately, Peter, James, and John are interrupted. They're immediately interrupted. Like Sinai and Moses, the glory cloud overshadows the disciples. And the voice, and a voice emerges out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen, listen to him. Verse 7. The voice that identified Jesus at his baptism is now heard directly by Peter, James, and John. Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Christ. And now the heavenly father blankets their ears. Blankets their ears with his own voice that Jesus is his son and they must listen to him. The one who fulfills the law given to Moses is now here. You must listen to him unto eternal glory. Are you listening to his preaching, his teaching unto life? The life of discipleship that ends in his glorification and your glorification. Before his father and holy angels. Yes, the life of self-denial and taking up your own cross. That's where it ends. In the glorification of Christ. After the profound revelation by his father in heaven concerning his identity. The strong imperative appears. Listen. Listen to Jesus. Suddenly. Notice the text. Suddenly. Elijah and Moses disappear. Disappear. Listen to Christ. They disappear. All 
that the three disciples now see standing before them is the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. What a sight. Meditate on that from the word of God. What a sight. What an inheritance of living the life of discipleship. Fully committed to Christ and his eternal kingdom. Oh, how glorious the life of self-denial and carrying our own crosses are. Do you recall what Exodus 25 is about as Moses enters into the glory of God on Mount Sinai? God instructs Moses about constructing the tabernacle. The tabernacle. Oh, Peter. Such nonsense, Peter. To construct three tabernacles, one to Jesus, one to Moses, one to Elijah. Listen, listen only to the words of Jesus. Don't you understand? You are looking. Don't you three disciples understand? You are looking at. The true and final tabernacle of God himself before you. Watch this congregation. I must admit, I had never seen this before until working on this this week. Watch this. A text that you know so well. Think of it. Yes, John. Yes, John. Who had witnessed this glorious event. He wrote. He wrote a sufficient commentary. Upon. Jesus's trans. Figuration. You can see it in one verse that you all have heard and know. Maybe some of you have memorized it. Listen to the language. This is John speaking after. He has seen the transfiguration of Jesus Christ and the Word. And the Word. Jesus Christ. Became flesh. Do you know the Greek in that text? And tabernacled. You'll read it as dwelling among us. 
The literal word is tabernacle. And he tabernacled among us. And we have seen what? Think about what you have just witnessed, what you have seen, what you are embracing this morning from this event in your own heart. And we have seen his glory, says John in John 1.14. We have seen his glory, glory of the only son from who? Who spoke at the transfiguration? From his father. From the Father, full of grace and truth. You see the connection of John 1.14 and how John's heart came alive indeed with respect to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Is that your heart? Where's your heart this morning concerning the revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ? What a sight. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, what a revelation. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would bless us, thy people. Bless us in a life through thy spirit of commitment, of being a follower, a true follower, a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the glory of Christ and the reward unto his church by grace be seen, be seen here in our own glorification by Christ alone by faith alone, by grace alone. In Christ's name, amen.